Hello and welcome to Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. I am Dennis Hensley and I am here in the West Hollywood apartment of Rob Nolan. He is a writer and a performer and my yoga buddy. Hi Dennis. And after this we're going right to yoga. <laughs> we are. With Jake. Did ah. I tell you about Jake? Is Jake everything I told you he was? You need to tell them about Jake because... <laughs> Jake's just my favorite yogi person and... Uh, He's just a really good teacher, and he's very easy on the eyes, but that's not the thing with him. It's, uh, I like his voice, and I like his, he's not, he, he has like, um, he has like a, a, warm a, spir- a warm, but a spirituality, but it's not baloney. Like, I used mm-hmm. to go to this one class where the guy would always say all these warm spiritual things, and then he'd be like, but don't park in my parking space. Like, it would, <laughs> he would switch over like that, and he was kind of full of shit, but he would strum a guitar. It was kind of... <laughs> Anyway, Jake's the man, and I love his voice, and I love at the end of class, he says, it is always my honor to lead you through the practice, and it's the way he says always. Yeah. He says, always my honor. It is always. <laughs> it's like he swallows it, and it's like I just wait for always. It's all about always. Uh, I actually saw Jake on uh, Saturday night at Cheyenne Jackson's uh, I wanted to concert. go to that. Uh, it was really amazing. It was really, really I know. Amazing. Rebecca Romaine was singing with him. Uh, she looked fabulous. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just found out my friend Art had styled her, and she looked—I mean, like stunning. She walked yeah. on that stage and just, ugh. Was incredible. it amazing? The show? It was really awesome. It was I just like a the Shane Jackson. Yeah, he, he sang um, Shirley Bassey's um, "I Who Have Nothing." Oh man! Oh, I lost it. Did you? I lost it. Yeah. That's the perfect song to sing when naked uh. photos of you leak onto the internet. <laughs> That's the way to channel that stuff. You know, it's it's true. It's. Did he do much patter? Downs. Did he do much patter, or did he do like? Um, did he talk much, or was it like song, song, song? Um, it was a little talking in between, a little bit of like family stories. It was actually a really warm show, and like uh, you got to kind of feel his spirit and like and who he was too. And you dig lot. him? He was, he was very open. I do, I do. I bought his um, album, and I listen to it all the time. Yeah, me too. And yeah. uh, there was a. Uh, but he didn't sing from that, did he? He sang a couple, uh, one or two songs from that. Okay. He sang two originals. I'm not sure if they were both on the album. One was right. one he wrote for his uh, grandmother when she had passed, and it was a really beautiful story. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. Man, I want. Ugh. It was really a great concert. I was gonna go. All right, never mind. Um, so th- we're going to yoga after this, and yes. that's gonna be good. The last friend I took to yoga ended up dating Jake for a while. Well, you don't. And have I to felt worry it happen to me. me. <laughs> I felt it happen. I, I saw him, Jake, come over to like adjust, and I I saw them like interacting. And I I felt it happen molecularly. I'm like, oh. This is on. And sure enough, but then it, I don't know, they, they were on a break. I don't know what happened, but they did date for a while. So, um, Rob, this was an interesting week because a story came out in LA Weekly about the Fashion Police writer strike, the one-year anniversary, and um, I was quoted in the story, and as were you. I was as well. And I felt like it was important to talk because a lot of people, especially people in the industry, thought it was all over and done. Like, it was all settled, it's all good, right? You guys are back, right? And I thought it was important that people know that that's not the, tr- that's not the case. It's yeah. not resolved. Not at all. And it probably won't be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And so I agreed to talk, because I hadn't been public about it really at all, in terms of being interviewed or anything. And, and um, when the piece came out, I was a little disappointed in it, even though it's, it's sympathetic to the writers, but I thought the writer left out, at least in terms of my story, some pertinent facts that that uh, I thought were important, like the fact that I'm a WGA member and I was going into that job. So if I didn't strike, I could lose my membership or get a fine or whatever. And also, I had a different 
I was different than the freelancers. I was a staff writer on the show, so I had benefits. I had a salary close to Writers Guild. Like I was well compensated. I, you know, so it kind of made me sound like I was. I just I felt it was important to like that those differences were in there, and and they didn't come out in the thing. Well, I think one of the most important things about those differences too is to show the importance that you. Um, your striking of this came as like a moral issue in support of the rest of the writers, knowing the workload, knowing what we were making a week, and to stand with us even though you were making enough. That was a huge statement for me, and um, and I think it's a really important thing that needs to, to have been said. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Namaste. But I just felt like, you know what, I, I and also it's been a year. I feel like it's not going to be resolved. I wanted a little closure, and I thought it would be nice to say, if somebody said, whatever happened with that strike, you could go, here's the link. They told the story, but wow, they didn't. They they got you know, and they got some little things wrong, like just they left out those facts, and they got my cruise ship plot line wrong for my <laughs> my show. They said I quit my job. I was fired. <laughs> I mean, let's you were fired from which uh, job? A sales job that okay. I had at the time. It was trying to balance both of those at the same time because the uh, fashion police pay was it was just not a livable you salary. Couldn't, yeah, so you couldn't do both. I was balancing a forty-hour a week job, and then you know, writing at Ugh. night and as much as I could over the weekend. and That know, sound you hear is my blood boiling. <laughs> my blood, even just hearing that. Anyway, so, yeah. So they let they put that you quit when you when you were fired. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was eventually let go. And then uh, it said that I knew that I had to go broke. I, it was uh, more that I had done well with my sales career. So I was at least afforded the ability to, you know, struggle a little bit and to kind of, um, you know, balance it until, yeah. you know, got to like the breaking point. I, I, I'm telling you, in all my years as a journalist and being <laughs> interviewed for things here and there, I've never seen such shoddy reporting. I was really disappointed by it. And I had this great soundbite that I felt really summed it all up, uh, which is, I felt like I had to choose between my job and my profession. Bam! Bam. Right? That, yes. And she twi- she changed it to something else that's not, it's not that. It's okay. It, Whatever. My point is, I'm going to tell my story now, my own way. Yes, go for it. That's what Cheyenne Jackson would do. (laughs) That is exactly, WWCD is what I always say. (laughs) Exactly. And I thought, Rob, you would be here and you could chime in on all of that too. But before we get into that stuff, I I saw you do this awesome um, workshop. What's it? Yeah, the uh, CBS Diversity Showcase. Showcase. And it was this amazing show where they had all these actors and writers in like, what, an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, wham, bam, entertain the socks off of people. Minutes. It but was cut it was short. So it was perfect. It was so great. There was so much talent up there, and if I were a casting director or a producer, I would, like, call everybody in that I saw. I'd want to meet all those writers. How did you get into that, and how long – I want to know about the process. Sure. So, um, uh, got a year ago, at last year's showcase, I uh, – so, showcase 2013 – I ran into my friend Stephen Garino, who's an actor. You know Stephen. Right. And I ran into him at Starbucks, and he was like, oh, come to my show tonight. And all I could think to myself was, I am not going to another friend's show in this city. <laughs> what, how many, what's your max? Warrant. Two or three a week? I, I mean, it, I love that it stuff. changes. I do, too, at times, but it just gets to be so right. many at once, especially being a writer and being in this and knowing a lot of comics. It's like, right. you know, they've got shows every day, and it's uh, – so anyway, I, I – Stephen said, have I ever brought you the wrong way or brought you something bad? And I said, you have not. I will come. And I went to go see it last year, and I was blown away at the end so of the night. So it was the diverse – it was the, what you did. Okay. The 2013, yes. Okay. The year before. And I said, I need to be involved next year. So over the summer, I um, you know, was talking to him about you know the process was starting, and he – and I wanted to write for it. 
And he ended up sending me out saying, great, send me your headshot and your resume. And then I got an audition for it. That's great. And I was called back a couple times. So and you were in it as a writer. Yeah, but, okay. but originally uh, Stephen put me in as an actor. Okay. And so when I eventually got cut in the process, I said, well, I wanted to write for it initially. And he brought me in to talk with uh, Ryan Noggle, who's the head writer. And um, Ryan said, great, well, you know, this is the process. And in short, what it is, it's um, run by – uh, Rick Nahira, who's the director of the show. Right. Uh, Fern Orenstein, who's the VP of casting for um, CBS. Right. And she's uh, the brains behind Baywatch, to be honest. There you <laughs> go. And um, they've been in the industry a long time. They've done a lot of stuff, and they know what casting directors want to see. Um, so over the process as a writer, it starts in uh, beginning of September, and it goes through when the show goes up in January. And so you're working on it all the time. You're writing, oh, yeah. generating. It's like, a, is it like a Three full-time job, a part-time job for um, that period of time? You know, it's it's part-time during that period of time. Um, you know, so you're, it's rehearsals are two to three days a week. Um, it increases as it gets closer. January, it's every day, like nine to nine in the El Portal Theater, just uh, running the sketches. The, no, the, the El Portal, for those of you who don't live in L.A., is in North Hollywood. It's not far from me. And it's this old theater that they kind of got going again, but it's like the TV land of theaters because <laughs> the people that perform there, it's like Lucy Arnaz yeah. in <laughs> Love Letters. It's like TV land, but you guys, I love that it was close to me. Yeah, it was, it was just really an awesome experience, and any writers out there, I recommend uh, doing it. It's like a really huge crash course in uh, sketch comedy. Yeah. Um, it's about not marrying your material, being able to adjust it to notes, knowing instinctively what needs to stay and what needs to go. It, there were over 600 sketches submitted um, with over 50 writers, and 20 to 22 made the final show. Wow. And so it was And you really had intense. you had a sketch in the show that was I very did. funny uh, with a woman's a inner voice. Um, did it open doors for you? It opened a ton of doors for me. I got my, um, I mean, ironically, it got me an acting agent out of it, too. And That's I wasn't incredible. Even in it. Yeah. Um, but also got me my writing management team with uh, Scenario LA. Great. They're really awesome. They've got a really cool process of taking on emerging talent. It's amazing. And uh, they work with you on, like, uh, finding your brand and working with your book, uh, stuff that you can, uh, you know, all of your pitchable ideas, getting stuff down on paper, and just really guiding you through. Because as a writer... I think what happens to me is what happens to most people. We get a ton of ideas, and then we have, like, 50 note cards with one line idea right. on it. And yeah. Hundreds of note cards and bar napkins. <laughs> that That's happen. right. So they help you put it all together and to get your thing, uh, your whole book of, essentially, I mean, sales term is book of business. But, right. Um, getting all of that together so that you could be a writer that's continually selling things and moving on. That's um, awesome. Yeah, continue your career. Well, I was super entertained by it. I was really blown away by it, and I'm happy that you got all that stuff going on. Um, so on the way over here, I was listening to the radio and on Frank DiCaro's show on Sirius, and somebody called in, and they're like, I just saw the cover of the LA Weekly, and I'm at click. I can't. <laughs> and then I saw some dude walking down the street holding it, and I'm like, fuck. Like, it just like, whatever. So I'm, we're going we're gonna, to gonna tell my story. Yeah. Settle in. I look at That's a lot of notes. That's a lot of notes. Um, so my, I wanted to tell a little bit about my history with the Writers Guild. In 1998, I had a novel come out called Misadventures in the 213, and it got optioned for television, and because of the deal, we did a pilot script for NBC, and the show didn't end up going. But because of that, I became an associate member of the Writers Guild, which meant I got the magazine, I got some of the, I, I was kind of like, it was like an entry-level thing. But I had three years to book another job, and then I would become a full member. And that was exciting, that idea. And I didn't do it. So I lost my associate member. Aww. I know, right? It was Aww. sad. 
And then <laughs> it felt like a step backwards. It felt like I'm going backwards. I'm not a professional. Like, so uh, in 2006, I got a job on Love Spring International, a lifetime comedy series with Jane Lynch. My friend Guy Shalem was one of the creators. And uh, because of that job, I got in the Writers Guild, full-fledged, full-bore, you know, nice. the whole thing. And that nice. was like, yes, I'm back. I'm back on track. <laughs> it means it means something to me. So um, then I had a real dry spell called my freelance freefall period, which I documented on the uh, Comedy Couch podcast. And uh, by the time I got the job with Fashion Police, I needed something so badly. It saved my life, literally. I was like, it was not pretty. I was just freaked out and anxious and struggling and didn't know what I was going to do. Journalism had dried up. Radio had gone away. Like, you know, it was, and I was like, I was so happy to have that job. And um, my title was script consultant. I couldn't be called a writer because I was in the guild. And I was like, you could call me Key Booger Eater. I don't care. I, <laughs> I've had that title. <laughs> have you? That was but my the, sales were job you I key? got fired from. I really? Was key. I was Key. Key yeah. Booger Eater, because yeah, that's so said. much better than assistant <laughs> Booger Eater. But, you know, so I was fine with it. And I was happy to be working. And, um, so about six months into the job, the, I, I become aware that, that Chelsea Lately and The Soup, their writers are trying to go union. So I, they want to get Fashion Police in the fold there. So I start going to meetings, and I'm like, you know, but I'm still very torn because I'm so glad to have this job. And so we, there's very few of us at the time. We're a half-hour show. And so we, we sort of try to, to, to take some steps to be a part of that movement because I would I, I would like it but I was still new and you know new and so happy to have that job and and anything like that so their um their negotiations continued and and all of that stuff and what ended up happening was Chelsea Handler and Joel McHale lobbied for their writers to to be in and it happened and and we were left behind and we were still a pretty new show at the time there were only like there was me and the head writer Tony were on staff and then there were others that were freelancers but a handful like two or three so that it went away we we missed the boat on that but I was still grateful to have the job and um I also remember being in Philadelphia and getting the call about like oh it looks like we're getting left behind like it's so weird like I can remember all these phone calls all these places I was like this <laughs> drama of this ongoing drama of this and um and then the show became an hour, and it was doing very well, and the writing staff got a lot bigger in terms of the freelancers that were brought in every week, and you were among them. I was. And I remember, I think it was like January of 2013, getting an email saying, we're going to try to get, make this happen again, and my, I'm just going, ugh, like the, the knot in my stomach. <laughs> it was there, and then it just went like, it, like it never really went away. But it was like, oh, shit, this again. Well, not having experienced it the first time, I had started in August um, of 2012, and um, I'd come back on a weekly basis, and I remember getting that email and being so excited, like, you must have been the first time around, and not knowing any of this, thinking, oh, my God, we're going to go guild. This is a huge deal. Right. And thinking, um, wow, the pay will almost double if we go guild, was right. my inner monologue. <laughs> like, right. So you were excited about that whole thing. I was. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ugh. Yeah, because I had actually just lost my sales job at the end of December. So then As that Key Booger Eater? Key Booger Eater. It was <laughs> yeah. over. And I, thought, <laughs> um, and I just remember thinking to myself, well, this is all happening, like, right in alignment. Like, this yeah. is, I'm in the zone. This is You are in happens. the zone. <laughs> no more boogers for you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I got that email. I was like, ah. Uh. So we went to a meeting at the Guild, and I remember 
discussing it, and there were uh, everyone was a much bigger group of people now. It was like nine or ten of us, or or something like that. And I remember just sharing my experiences um, from the first round, and I said, my gut feeling is the powers that be don't want this to happen. They don't want it. I don't know for sure why, if it's financial or what, but my my feeling is just from what I experienced that. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of resistance, and and so and we'd have to take that on. And I remember somebody, I think it was one of the guild persons, goes, "Well, and how does that make you feel?" And I'm like, anxious. Like I was <laughs> like, ah. And then it was at that same meeting that I found out how little you guys were being paid. I didn't yeah. know up until then. Yeah, I remember walking in and seeing you, Dennis, and being like, "Oh, thank God, Dennis is here." And looking around, and there was no Tony. And I thought, "Oh no." <laughs> and I didn't know this was a good thing or a bad because you know the faces of the show to me were Dennis and Tony, and I thought we're there. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're there. Oh, we're not. <laughs> yeah, welcome to <laughs> the last two years. So, anyway, yeah. And when you guys said how little you were making, I was shocked because I knew that the when we were a half hour, they were getting like five hundred dollars a week to come in, and then the show went to an hour. But then also the quantity of jokes that they wanted kind of doubled apart from that so i thought they probably doubled the salary no. but it wasn't no not at all it was by all reports six ten a week six ten before six, taxes. Ten a week before taxes yeah would taxes get taken out or were you would you pay like quarterly estimated uh taxes i had taxes taken out. you had it taken out i don't remember if it was a choice or not but i know that i did and what also happened at that meeting is people started coming clean about how long it takes them to write the jokes because we uh. didn't work in an office together and so you didn't really know and it took a long time, hours and hours. And I don't think you want to walk into a job where you're trying to impress everybody and go, it took me forever. You know yeah. what I mean? You want to seem clever like and smart natural, and stuff yeah. like that. But in that meeting, it was kind of like an AA meeting where it's like, yeah, I, you know, da 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 da. And people started coming clean about it. And I was like, wow. That to me felt like a bombshell, not in terms of getting guild representation, but for the show, it felt like, I felt like if this got out, it would be bad for everybody. Like, it felt like, oh, this information is... Because I don't think the show knew, the producers, and I don't think they knew how long it took. I just felt like there was a lot... Because it didn't happen in front of them. Yeah. And I felt like, okay, this isn't right. This Something about this needs to change. So, um, yeah, I remember thinking that was a, the bombshell, and we all came out about uh, how long it took. Because I, when, um, as soon as those pictures would come out, I would print them out, and I would have them on the seats, my passenger seat in my car, and I would drive around with a mini cassette recorder when I was driving to work and home and going wherever in that period, because otherwise I would never get the quantity. Yeah. Because I had the other script duties and stuff like that. And so it was like always joke, 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 you, you know, trying to come up with them. Yeah, I was traveling for uh, work at the time, so I would be in San Francisco or I would be um, uh Sacramento, different um, places in California. And I just remember being, the looks would come in and I would have them and I'd be going through, I'd have to print them out because I couldn't have anything digital on like the plane as you were taking off or landing right. and on a flight that's an hour, it's, you have 15 minutes to start right. everything up and then turn it down. So I'd have them all printed out and I'm just jotting notes and I'm going through like the security checkpoints at the airport at like, you know, seven in the morning with this book of paper right up until like the metal detector and throwing it on like into like the cart and going through and then coming back out. And it was just like this, frantic period of time that I didn't like my entire life was somewhat of a blur because I didn't have a second to smell the roses it was you know balancing work and then this like it was two 40 hour week jobs on top of it and it you know people are always like oh you had to write a couple of one-liners how hard can that be 
but I think what a lot of people don't understand is that it wasn't a couple of one-liners. It was, you know, we had like about 20 pictures a week and we had to write like 10 jokes on each picture. And when you get to like your third joke, you're like, oh, that's funny, funny. Oh, and then the, you're the, stuck the, the third, on the same picture. The first two or three come. Yeah, very naturally. Four and five, you have to work for it a bit. Then you start Googling and then yeah. it's two hours later and yeah. you're still like, fuck. Stuck on the same look. And, and you had the same girl last week. Yeah, so now you're dress. on like a hundred, your hundredth Rihanna joke without <laughs> being able to repitch it. And there's only so many times so, you could say she took another belt to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to make it fashionable. So it was a lot. And I think that's what, I think there's a lot of comedy jobs in town where where funny people are brought in for an evening to pitch jokes or punch up a script and they come in and they don't prepare and then they leave and they, they're paid like 500 bucks or whatever. Yeah. That's like a common thing. There was a ton of homework with this and I don't think anyone ever got it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think unless you do it, you get it. And it's, and I was paid fairly, so I would roll with it. I, you know, it stressed me out every week and I had, a, sometimes I'd get a little pissy or whatever. And um, I, I mean, and people at like hip hop, class would see me with I would bring my book out and they would pitch jokes and like I was known as that guy that carried the book around and um and but when I heard how little you guys were making for, and knowing that I was just yeah. like this is bad this yeah. isn't right so um we decided we were gonna try to talk about it uh yeah. at the writers meeting with Joan and Melissa and, and the producers there and that became known as Black Sunday <laughs> and it's been well documented in uh other Things. I don't think we need to go into it in yeah. great detail, except to say that it did not go well. And I remember you said that you sort of watched the goings on like as like it was like a like a you were at a theater and it was it, like um, performance art in the round or something. I really was, was shitting my pants. I wasn't that closely attached to um, Joan or Melissa or anybody. Think I you know being a freelance writer, I didn't have any personal relationships outside the house, so I was just brought in a week to week basis and. Really what came from my experience there was coming home and telling my friends about like what happened that day. It was like so exciting. Ooh, we were at Melissa's house. And that day, it was like a front row seat to like the apprentice meltdown. I mean, it was like everything except for like calling somebody a pit viper. And like, and I mean, it was wild. I remember being so because we had a plan. One person was going to say this, and then I was going to talk about the wage per hour. I felt like people needed to know that $15 an hour, what it amounted to, about $15 an hour. I yeah. felt like the powers that be didn't know that. And I felt like mm. that was a bombshell. And I and I, I wanted it to get out there because I don't think they knew it. And they wouldn't they wouldn't be once they heard that, they'd be like, this isn't right. Yeah. Um so but I didn't get to my line. Because once the first person started, things went went south. And I remember walking out of that that meeting and Hugging you on yeah, the street. You hugged me, right? We were like, <laughs> I just remember being in full embrace. Because we, we things calmed really. down, and then we did our <laughs> pitched our jokes and got through it, and then we walked out. But it was still, you know, rough. And I remember coming out, hugging you on the street, and I remember getting in my car, and something shifted in that meeting for me. Mm. Something shifted where I saw something in a different way, and I thought to myself, maybe I've written enough Rihanna jokes for one lifetime. Yeah. Because like as things were brewing and kind of leading up to that, I thought. If they go on strike as a Writers Guild member, I'm out and I can't lose this job. This job saved my life and oh my God, that would be the worst thing. What if that happened? And then as it was getting closer and this was happening, I that fell away and I was like, I can't not do this. Yeah. I can't not stand for this. Mm -hmm. So, But I remember thinking maybe I, I just saw something in a different way. And it's very reminiscent of a moment I had with Kathy Griffin back in the day where something just shifts and you see something a little different. Um, 
And it's hard to go back from that. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what shifted or what it was, but I was like, oh. But you were just, you were, you should have well, had a popcorn and I, you should have been eating it. I, well, we had those uh, uh, m M&M, the peanut m and Oh, those were so <laughs> they good. Were delicious. I know. Um, but it, it was, it was, you know, I, again, not being emotionally involved at a different level other than like pitching jokes. It was, it was kind of like a show for me. I just remember looking around the table and I had, kept looking up and I would see people like look up and then down. And then I was just like, how are you guys missing this? <laughs> like, this is a moment we are about to so have. We're very wired, very different because I'm just like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to upset people. I don't, whatever. So the fallout from that, we, it was still a while before the actual strike happened. We, um, we would wear our shirts to meetings, red shirts to meetings to kind of keep that going. And that yeah. even took, that was nerve wracking. I'm like, Oh, these red shirts, uh, you know, red I, is not my color. Either. I know, I, but it was like, I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and during that time, I, I spoke to two different people on, on the management, you know, company side about, and, and, and they listened to me and I talked to them about, I don't think the company knows how many hours it's taking. I, 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 may, I was able to make that point and I think I was heard. Um, and, but I was going to do it at the meeting and never happened. Um, so that that felt good to be able to to say that, but things still. But I but I think even by that time the ship had sort of left the harbor or the train. Uh, the yeah. ship had left the station. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And um, here I'm right. I'm looking at my notes. I got that. I covered that. M and M's. Do we say talk about that? Oh, I, I no, mentioned them. You mentioned them. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Red shirts. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember one time we were sitting there in our red shirts, and one of the producer teams got an email saying from a friend that said, oh, look, my friend's traveling in Asia and Africa, and she says we're on in every country, and we're all sitting there mm-hmm. in our red shirts. Do you remember mm-hmm. that moment? I do. I do. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. The, um, you know, the budget of the show and this, that, all these things, they couldn't afford to pay the writers the right way, and you know, the show would have to close down, or we'd only be able to have four writers, and to find out they're making money in every country. We're in Bangladesh. It was it was a model that texted or something. It was a model that had been on the show. Oh, was it? I don't That's remember who a, the yeah. text was. I just remember yeah. the irony of us sitting there in those red shirts during that moment was kind of classic. <laughs> um, well, the first time we wore the red shirts was the um, was it yeah. the award show or was it at the house? I feel like it might have been at an award show. I think or something. it was the Academy Award show. Yeah, um, and but we, we we made it through that, and um, I also we should have struck on that one. That's what we should have done. We should have walked in and not pitched our jokes that night. But that I don't know our... if it had ever. I don't know if it ever would have worked ever. I think there was. Well, it I, didn't, but it would have made a nicer. Yeah, it would have been more. It's more night. glamorous. <laughs> the Oscars are more glamorous, <laughs> and it would have been. It would have meant ten less Jennifer Lawrence jokes that I would have had to pull out of my ass. But yes. um, I remember as the things were brewing. Um, I went to Banana Republic because they had the Mad Men line, and I was mm. going to get a new polo because I like their Mad Men stuff. Yeah, me too. And so I go there, and they had this delicious suit that you just wanted to lick. Ugh. And I thought, I'm just going to try it on. I don't need I don't need to buy it. So I try it on, and it's like butter. I'm fucking Don <laughs> Draper, and I'm like, I really want this suit, but I don't know what's going to happen with this strike. Fuck it. I'm buying the suit. So I bought the suit. <laughs> So I bought the suit, and uh, it comes up later. Okay. So, okay, it'll come up later in the story. I don't get out of the car. You don't know what's going to happen with the suit. <laughs> so, um, so then it, it just kept escalating. There was a wage-per-hour lawsuit that was filed. I had nothing to do with it. It was separate, but it was one of our things moving toward a strike. Um, and then we, it was going to happen. 
Do you remember, like, it was going to happen? Do you remember leading up to it? Yeah. Were you anxious? How did you? Um, I was anxious. I mean, the the chair to my right that we affectionately called the trap door. Um, <laughs> because because a writer would be there one week and gone the next. Yeah, yeah. and it was it just ended up being the table the the chair right next to me, and so it's like this mind game that you think, well, if that chair goes, then my chair's next. If that chair goes, then my chair's next. And it, you know, I wasn't, you just the, fall through the, the hole into the Pacific it. It ocean. Just, exactly. It's yeah. just the, the seating. And, um, I just remember the leading up and pitching the jokes. And then the night before, um, we said we weren't pitching any more jokes was like, we still wrote all the jokes. Yeah. We had everything ready, everything in case yeah. you know, something would go the right way. And, you know, um, I had to reach out to some of the freelance writers um, to say, you know, we'd appreciate you standing with us. Like some of the ones that were just uh, emailing it in and being called in, you know. Uh, there were all these. There were all these people at the table, and there were still all these other people emailing in. Yeah, yeah. For every picture, she must have had two hundred jokes. Yeah, easy. That's, I mean, easy twenty four hundred jokes to pick sixty for an episode. <laughs> Granted, they're not all golden. They're not, Granted, no, they're, they're not all gold. I mean, golden. I'll own that. Yeah. But the ratio is a little crazy. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I also remember the day we decided we were going to do it, it was like a Friday, and I was going to see The Grapes of Wrath with my friend Jackie. And I already told this story on the podcast because I had Jackie on. But I'm going to tell it again because this B? is – Yeah, Jackie Clark. Oh, Jackie Clark. Do you know Jackie Clark? Writer, performer. She'd written for Fashion Police for a while. Okay. Um, good friend. Awesome. And, you know, it's about the Depression and the Jode family are – leaving the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma and they're going to travel across the country and they're going to, you know, they're going to be migrant workers or work in the farm. And they were trying, you know, there was a lot of union talk and coming together and the people and they were traveling across country and the theme spoke so clearly to me because at this point I just had dinner with Jackie. I said, I think the strike's going to happen. And we're like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? So everything resonated around that. And so they're traveling across country. The grandmother has died but they're pretending she's just asleep so they can get through this checkpoint because apparently the dead grandma might hold them up and it's not going well. And I leaned over to Jackie and I go, they never should have left fashion police. I mean, Oklahoma. <laughs> but then at the end, Tom Jode has that speech about, I'm going to stand up for every little person. Wherever that person is, I'm there. And if there's a kid that needs, and I was like, yes. You know, that was, like, he spoke to me. So everything was like resonating. And that was the, the, um, the, the Friday, and then I, on the Sunday, I went to, I was a big ball of stress, and I went to Jake's yoga class on the rooftop at the Pally House, because wow. I loved that class, and I, it was great. And I went there, it was a big ball of stress, I finished the class, he came over to me, and he's like, how are you doing? And I said, well, it's been kind of a stressful week. And he goes, yeah, and I said, how are you? And he goes, yeah, me, I had a really bad week. And I said, I'm sorry, what happened? And he goes, well, my one of my best friends just passed away. And do you remember that meningitis yeah. scare that was that was his good friend oh that died gosh, yeah and i was like oh wow i'm so sorry but it kind of put things in a yeah. bit of perspective for me and i was like oh that you know that that gave me a little bit of perspective but i really felt bad it was like that was going on mm -hmm. at the time and then i also remember like on the monday was the boston bombing because i was i was in my office yeah. and i was right i was getting i was thinking and i was also trying to get the script as far along as i could in the process because i knew I was going to be striking on Tuesday night, and I also love everybody in that office and loved working with them, and we had a good thing going with our w workflow and everything, and I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to do as good as I could, but it was weird being in there every day and going and thinking, I'm doing this big thing tomorrow night, you know? Yeah. So it was crazy. 
but it's like um, sleeping with the enemy. It's I was it's like totally sleeping with the enemy. Like escape. <laughs> I was totally sleeping with the enemy. But you know when it when then the Tuesday night I went to hip hop and I did horrible on the combination as you can oh, imagine God. because I'm distracted. And then we all went home and at eleven o'clock we were going to send the identical emails to certain people saying this is what's happening. And I remember sending one of the emails went to Tony. So an email went from my room to his room, roughly about 15 feet. Oh, God. And I heard him get on the phone, and I put my headphones in. I'm like, this is none of my business. Again, we're wired differently because I would have had a glass <laughs> You would have had a glass to the door. I don't want to know. I don't we're, even know if that it's... works, but I would have done it. <laughs> and so I did that, and I went to bed. And um, because leading up to it, I asked myself three questions. Are the writers being treated fairly? No. Do I think that's going to change anytime soon? No. Can I continue to live in this anxiety and this double life, this sleeping with the enemy thing? No. So let's do the next step. Because we'd escalated to that point. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I was like, fuck it. You know, so we did it. And then what do you remember about the day that it happened? I remember we went into the Writers Guild and we were going to see if there was any like movement. Yeah, I just remember the drive down there, um, you know, roughly a mile from my house. But, like, it seemed like the longest drive forever because you start running all of the different options in your head. You're like, maybe we'll have a contract when we get in. Maybe they're like this. This happened. Oh, come in for the meeting. We can't tell you over the phone. Maybe they had wanted to, like, celebrate. There's going to be champagne. Maybe they decided they didn't care and we were gone and, it, like, everything. The, the possibilities were 100% one way or 100% the other. There was going to be no gray area. And it just – I remember, like, hurting my brain on the way down. And like, and just getting in and saying, "Let's just wait and see what happens." I remember thinking, "I don't think they're gonna." I didn't think it was gonna work out. I never thought, "Oh, they'll." It's gonna happen. They'll get a contract. I always knew there was something huge in our way, yeah. but it still didn't make it right. Like mm -hmm. I, but I, I never, I never thought, "Oh, this will work out." I never really did. Maybe that's just my thing. But I also remember we had like we went in there and there was no real update. But then I remember going to Burger Lounge with you that afternoon. Yeah. Yep. That was a good. My thing was like I'm going to do the eating tour with friends in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, I just remember like really getting to know you that day and getting to hear your story behind it because I, I just really knew you at the table and you were always like such a warm person. But we hadn't broken that wall of friends by that point. It was yeah. just like it was it, a coworker thing and this bond of the strike. But like. I never knew your story, and it yeah. was just so interesting to like go in because there's that intimidation of a staff writer versus a freelance writer. Are they like looking at us like, "Oh God, his jokes are awful," because there's always a few, and you like think that's in the writer's mind. You just think those are the ones that they hear. But there was but also was... a there was this feeling of like when you all those those jokes are awful. Like this feeling that I left that meeting every week thinking there I didn't write enough jokes and they weren't funny enough. Yeah, I never left Constantly. there feeling like, "Oh, I had a good we had a good week." Yeah. And I don't think no matter what we did, we would ever walk away feeling that way. And it wasn't outwardly, it wasn't like, these suck or whatever, but it was just this feeling mm -hmm. of not enough, not enough. Not enough, yeah. Um, so that's interesting that I think everyone, you know, of course you want to do well, you want to have funny jokes or whatever, but yeah, it was a lot of that. And then I saw, um, I, was at, I had coffee with my friend Scott at Starbucks, and then I saw my friends Dave and Alonzo walking up to the Sundance Cinemas, and I, I ran up to them, and I'm like, on strike, and I kind of explained it, and... That was, you know, and they were supportive. And then I ended up having dinner with my friend Guy, and he talked a lot about it. And then I went late night to my friend Zaid, who's lovely and was there. Like, it was just like I was with friends all day. But it was like, I, I did, you know, I didn't, didn't want to go home. Um, 
And but I do remember just friends being there for me that day. And then I remember the next day, Thursday night was the first time I talked to Tony and I, I called him just to see, you know, just to talk. And we sort of stressed that our friendship was the most important thing. And he let me know that he was going to move out. And I remember being a little surprised by it, but I don't know why I would. Of course. Mm. Of course. Like, yeah. he's got to keep the show going. He can't be doing that if I'm there. He can't be calling up writers. and the, uh, like yeah. so. But I was like, wow, okay. And I got it. I accepted it. Um, and uh, But we had a nice, a nice, as nice a conversation as you could have in that situation. Um, and then I just remember, like, what do you remember about the days after? D- the few days or doing anything different or... Uh, God, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I, it was mostly about getting like my head around it and deciding yeah. what I was going to do next. My, my initial instinct was, um, treat it like it was over and yeah. um, start moving on and looking to see. And if, and if we got back in, it would be a win and it would be great. But, you know, as a writer, you don't really have the luxury of sitting around waiting for like a strike to finish. Right. And, you know, my thought was, let's see what else I can do writing wise. And I got with, um, you know, my agent and started talking uh, about, you know, this is what I want to be like submitted for. I want to do late night stuff. And, yeah. You know, doing joke writing for that. And I just kind of got on the books with that and put together uh, packets for different shows as they popped up and just kept my writing going. But it, it yeah. was just, you know, trench forward until. I also remember I went to therapy in the wake of it. And I also went to see my career coach who's helped me a lot in my and things and has become a good friend. And every year at, um, at the end of the year, you do like a completion workshop with her and you come up with a theme for yourself for the new year. It's corny. Check out now if you want. I have a dream board story coming up. So that's, I, that's down. What's I know. <laughs> so anyway, you come up with a theme and we decide and you kind of come up with it with a group. And I liked something like this. And whenever my theme was I'm the guy, like mm. sort of owning my uh, uh, and being empowered and, and owning my abilities or whatever. That was my theme. And I remember her earlier in the year saying, I don't think you're quite owning that yet. So I walk in there and I told her the story and I'm like, am I owning? I'm the guy yet? God damn it. And, but I remember that moment. That was kind of interesting. And then on Saturday, I had brunch with a couple of friends and we had done dream boards in the fall, in the, over Christmas time. St- places you want to visit, all that stuff, the Oprah thing. And they both had little stories about how there's oh, I put this typewriter thing on there and I just found a typewriter on the street or I, I found out I'm going to Rio or whatever. Like, uh-huh. both of them had stories. And I just pictured mine in my bedroom bleeding. <laughs> like, the walls in the Amityville horror. Like, I imagine that's what was happening at that moment. Just just blood seeping forth from it. And then um, that night, I bought tickets to see Coco Peru interview Jane Fonda at the uh. Gay and Lesbian Center. Again, a pricey ticket yep. for a boy on strike, but whatever. But I had bought them already, and I'm a huge Jane Fonda fan. I huge. love how she's evolved. Uh, when she's, I she at a certain point she decided I'm going to cut the shit, yep. and I'm going to be loving and real and real. I'm it's knocked so out by real. her, knocked I, out by you her. Know what? The monster-in-law is what got me on Jane Fonda. Like out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting it, and then I went back and watched. I mean, I used to love The Morning After. When she that, that you're really thing. picking all the grades, oh I'm sure God. she'd be thrilled. <laughs> She'll be really thrilled. Yeah, but like I went back and there's just there's such a thing to like all of her like movies. I mean, in those, I mean, the yeah. morning after is ridiculous. It's hysterical. But though, she's but, amazing, oh, and I, I read her autobiography, and I just am impressed with what she's about. We'll put that on my and list. so I went to this thing, and I took uh, my friend Scott went with me, and I wore my Mad Men suit. And I love my Mad Men suit. It was beautiful. I, of course, I got the tie. I think about the shirt. You know, when they put it, ugh. 
They get you. <laughs> anyway, so I'm there, and the, and the evening is amazing. And I remember they had a, uh, a photograph of Jane Fonda and Harvey Milk together mm. that some photographer had taken back in the 70s when they were doing a campaign to make sure that gay people could teach in schools. And Jane Fonda was advocating for it. And they were laughing together, and it's this great photo. And they auctioned it off. And I thought, if I was still working, I'd bid on that fucker because I love what yeah. they both stand for. But I didn't, so I found it online, and now it's my screensaver. Oh, that's so that's awesome. kind of it's cheaper, and you can print it. I can print it. You I did that. It. I have a yeah. little one, oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I pirated it, but yeah. I would have bid on it. But anyway, so I'm in the reception, and this guy that I don't know comes up to me, and he goes, "So this is what striking looks like." And I thought he was talking about the suit. Uh-oh. I was like, "Why? Thank you very oh, much. I, I just got it." <laughs> and then it took me like, you know, thirty seconds to realize, like, oh. He he's ta- he's heard about the strike. He's talking about the strike. Not that you looked striking. Not that I looked striking. That's, I was like, why? Thank you. <laughs> I know. So this is what striking looks like. I know. Oh yeah. My God. And then Guys, can I use the restroom? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I mean, it's my house. I don't. Know you should be able to use the restroom. Let me see yes. how I I record pause. Okay, one second. That was the suit payoff, by the way. There's no more with the suit. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, we're back. We're back. I think we're back. Okay. We're back. Yeah, I'm so not technically very savvy with this. So when we last left, I was, this is what striking looks like. And that was like on a Saturday. That was a Saturday night. And then the next Sunday, the next day, Jake had a special yoga rooftop class in honor of his friend who had passed away. Mm. So a lot of his friends came there, and they had like singers singing outside under the sun. Um songs or whatever and this girl with a beautiful voice and at the very i hadn't shed a tear over this whole strike thing from Mm -hmm. the for the the years leading up to it or whatever and this girl got up and sang somewhere over the rainbow for this guy who had passed away and i was such a raw ball of nerves and it was during shavasana when you're looking up Mm -hmm. at the sky like a corpse pose and i just lost it i did the ugly cry (laughs) the sweaty ugly cry but but the good thing is everyone's laying on their back so i don't think anyone can see it but in my mind the camera zooming down and of course the girl that's singing it's like somewhere what the fuck is happening to him but it was so you probably something you're doing breath of fire like <laughs> it was off the chain but that's what i think that's what's beautiful about music or something it can allow yeah. you to tap into things that you need to get out but yeah i was a kind of a mess and then it finished and my friend john sobrack was there and he could kind of tell i was a mess so he was lovely and kind of comforting me. But I think that was, you know, Tony was moving out that day mm. after 20 years. And, you know, I hadn't really been home. Um, and there I was laying on the roof of the Pally House, sweating it out. It is always my honor. <laughs> always. Always. Um, and then do you remember I, about the benefit that we did, the Comedy Store benefit? Yeah, that we did uh, to Laugh try Factory. To, Laugh Factory. Yes. I remember going to that. We did a benefit to try to wait, raise awareness about the strike and also to make a little money to support the people that weren't working. And um, I just remember being so impressed with all the performers because I had yeah. seen them pitch jokes and stuff, but I'd never seen them do stand-up. Same here. And I just thought, they're brilliant. Yep. And they deserve to be paid like the brilliant minds that they are. Like yeah. I was knocked out by them. And I also remember that somebody from E bought like a hundred tickets yeah. the week before. What do we ever so, get to the bottom of that? We never got to what the bottom of that. What was that about? There was like a hundred I forgot about that for a second. Remember? There, there like was, it was like 
Yeah, it was like all of a sudden we got a, a notice that we were sold out or something, and then it said E bought. It was somebody from E bought like four tickets, uh, four groups of tickets at like fifty maximum each or something like that. It was crazy. And somebody then, in digital or something. I don't know what yeah. that was about. Yeah. And I, I think we were afraid that we'd get there and all the seats would be empty. Yeah. I don't know. But um, we got and, the money. I don't understand. Yeah, and the, the seats weren't empty, and I don't know if they bought it in you know mild support because at that time they were trying to get us to do the election. Oh yeah, they were always obsessed with if fashion police would just do that NLRB election like Chelsea lately in the soup did, this could all be over. And I think the guild always believed that that was a stalling tactic, and it was a it was a controversial thing. Mm -hmm. Even you know you never quite know. There's a part of you that's like. Let's just do it, and then we'll, you know, yeah. you want to be good kids. But we ended up doing it in the fall, and the negotiations did winter. start. Yeah. yeah, in the winter. We ended up doing it, and, of course, it was unanimous for guild representation, pretty much. I mean, there was one person that wrote, fuck you, or tore up yeah, the they thing on it. Yeah, they just tore up the ballot. They tore up the ballot. Um, but it was, you know, it was a landslide. Yeah. And then, but then the negotiations started, and the, what they were offering was so far below the guild minimum yeah. that it was just... A non-starter. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is what the NLRB election was for. It wasn't it, – the NLRB election was simply to say that the majority of writers wanted the Writers Guild to represent them in the case of negotiations with the network. We already had a majority vote that had walked out and were striking. Uh, but the, the network kept saying, well, we need to do this. It's a formality. Once we get the formality done, we'll, we'll get in. And – you know, we fought it saying we are. You already have your majority. There is a clear representation of the majority. Let's start negotiating. Yeah, we're the ones in the red shirts. Yeah, yeah, uh, we're the ones no longer working on the show. Yeah. Um. And the uh. And so when it went into the, when we did the election, it was only that. That's what the the news came out that we agreed to do the election, and that's when everybody thought the strike ended. I think. Yeah. I think the negotiations. Thought, oh, are, oh, they yeah. they gave them their election. Now the negotiations start. And no one looked past it. That was yeah. only to start the negotiation process which we didn't even need a negotiation process because the um, because we were asking for the minimum contract. Right. It was the guild minimum. So there's no room to go below that. Yeah. So the, it just it seems so crazy. We just yeah. wanted what Chelsea and the Soup had. Yeah. We're the same kind of show, same network, higher ratings. Mm -hmm. It's not that crazy. Yep. We didn't want Friends money, a million yeah. an episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that whole thing. And then I remember also there was somebody at that um, – fundraiser who I'd known, I'd seen around, and I knew him a little bit, and um, I talked to him a little about the strike or whatever with one of the other writers who also knew him, but it turns out he was a spy for Joan. Oh, like, he reported back. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, I, I learned my lesson. Not, I don't think I said anything that interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, I learned my lesson. But what's interesting about that story and the that they bought tickets is that they were intrigued by what we were doing, what's going uh -huh. on. Yeah. Like, they were... I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, trying to earn a living. That's yes. What was going on. And then, like a couple months after the strike had started, and I was starting to, I'd done some work for Princess, and I was starting to settle into this new thing. And I, I remember going to my gym, uh, where I work out, and I had a, eaten a banana, and I threw the peel in a dumpster, at the gym. And as I went to do it, I something caught my eye in the bottom of the dumpster and I lifted the lid back up uh, I love this and story. there was a page from one of those books that I used to carry around with me of all the looks and it was a Starletter Streetwalker page it was stuck to the bottom of the dumpster because <laughs> the dumpster was empty except for like a, one Starbucks cup and my banana peel and this page and there it was like this 
foreign hooker who's the real hooker. I believe the joke that ended up in the show had to do with Paris Hilton and a truck of penicillin or something. Yeah. And there it was at the bottom of the dumpster looking up at me. And Starlitter Streetwalker, I'm proud to say, was my idea. Nice. Mike, I, I, if I die tomorrow, that will live on. Yes. I am proud of that. And there it was, and I was like, I think this might be a sign of some sort. I think I'll, I'll, I, I don't know what that meant, but it was, yeah. yeah, there it was. And it had to have been like two or three months old at that point. So anyways, do you have any dream boards or um, signs from God or yeah. uh, any of that, anything metaphysical that you want to share with us? Absolutely. <laughs> well, last night was the new moon and every new moon I do this uh, three minute new moon ritual where you put down like, it's not that's really crazy. No, I'm kidding. Crazy. <laughs> it's actually funny because I was cleaning up and on my dining room table, I, I make a list of things that, you know, there's a little um, intro to it where you light a candle and you say this little thing that say, um, you know, I invite these things into my life now for my greatest good um, or the greatest good of all involved. Right. Um, like that. And then you just kind of list the things that you're looking to welcome into your life. And it's really like a mental thing. And you do it on the new moon so that it can grow with the moon and by the third full moon and this whole thing. Right. Um, anyway, so I did that last night. That's so um, cool. It's that I have, um, and then I, I burn it in a jar and then let like the smoke go out into the universe. I and love then, stuff like that. I do too. It, I do. I love I sage it. Sage my area first. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> I think the biggest surprise of the whole strike experience, especially when it was fresh, was how connected to something bigger I felt during it. Even yeah. as, as scary as it was, mm -hmm. as stressful as it was, like if I'd get in the car, there'd be this song on there. I remember when it was really bad, and I think the shit had just gone down, and it was like, Carrie Underwood was like, I guess it's gonna have to hurt. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, Carrie, it is. And then I had, like, my Newsies happened to be in my CD changer, and oh I, because I, I love the melodies, and I'm like, listening to them, and I'm like, yes, fight. Like, it just was like, and I remember going to yoga in Palm Springs before the strike, but I had just gotten off a phone call with somebody related to it on, on you know, on the east side, and that was that Jason Mraz song, I won't give up on us, mm. even though, you know, and I, yeah. So there was all of these like little cues that seemed to speak to me, but I guess they don't write songs and make movies about keep your mouth shut and take the money. Like that's not a big theme <laughs> I, in pop culture. I know. And see how it does out there. But keep it was just, shut, take the money and I run. just <laughs> felt so uh, connected to everything. That was yeah. the, the kind of the biggest surprise of it for me. But um, what it came down to is that, like, I, I was in the guild. So I was able – when I sent my email saying I was going on strike, I was able to say I didn't want to lose my guild membership for this, But which is true. But the truth is I could not sit there and pitch those jokes knowing how hard it is to write it and know that my colleagues were getting $15 an hour, no benefits. I couldn't do it. Yeah. That was it. That's what it came down to. So that's why I didn't go to therapy after that. I didn't have benefits. <laughs> See? I'm like wondering why I didn't turn right? to my therapist, but that's exactly why. That's what it came down <laughs> to for me. And so, you know, there you go. I remember yeah. also after like a month later, I went on this yoga retreat with my friend Jackie and Jake had us always. Uh, Jake <laughs> slash always. 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 We're going to hear that in like an hour. I'm so excited. He had us write down different, whatever we're feeling. It's like one of those, you know, you do a class, you do a little writing, journaling, whatever. And I just remember writing down, I'm like, I don't know what's next in this crazy chapter, but I need fear not to be, I need it not to be defined by fear. Mm. And because it, it's hard. Yeah. Right? Yeah, fear can be but like I think inhibiting I've, or. I think I've kind because I went through that already before Fashion Police. I had that whole chapter and I, I'm sick of that. 
that version of myself is so 2000 and mm. whatever. But it sometimes it just feels like, I don't know, you're just kind of being like, I'm just going to keep going and hope that things are okay. Mm. But yeah. no, I, I feel the same way. It's a, you know, it, to me as a writer to keep growing and to keep, you know, doing something new and something bigger, you know, time after time is an important thing for me and, and a varied career and trying different things that I like the fear to be in the unknown as opposed to the known. Yeah. And, the, but the fear ends up being very clearly, are you, will you work again? Can you make a living? It's mm -hmm. not, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Will anyone pay you to do anything again? And there was somebody on that it's side of it. It's a for me though. I like that. Do you? Yeah. I don't like the fear of like, I'm in this and I'm going to be like, I could be gone in a second, like by next meeting, not knowing what's going to be there. I like the fear of what's next as opposed to being in the middle of it and w wondering if you're going to lose it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, wired differently. I wired differently. <laughs> next week on Dennis Hensley's wired, wired differently. differently. <laughs> I know that's so interesting. Um, but I feel like somewhere in the mid two thousands, it's like, it's like if the job field is a game of musical chairs, they took half the chairs away. Mm. They're gone. And sure. so I have this inner monologue in my head a lot. Not enough chairs, 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 not enough chairs. And I had a chair for a while. And whenever I get an email from somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just transitioning away from my job and looking for opportunities if you hear anything. And they're super cheerful and enthusiastic. And inside I'm thinking, not enough chairs, not enough chairs, not enough chairs, <laughs> not enough chairs. So I got that going. And you see it everywhere. Anytime somebody's talking about income inequality on the radio or the new, it, it's yeah. a culture. It's like this thing, and and I really feel like it's nice if you're worth worthy of something or good or something. But luck is, I think, luck is bigger than I ever thought it was before as a factor in a lot of this stuff. And so I am uh, anxious and a, a bit afraid. Not like I was before, but on my worst day, I always say to myself, staying would have been worse. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely would have been. I think, though, um, one of the things with, you know, balancing luck is balancing ingratitude with it. For myself, one of the things that I love is to look back, because for me, writing for Fashion Police came out of nowhere. Right. And so I never look down the street thinking there's nothing on the horizon, because this wasn't on the horizon when I got it. Right. It was... I mean, it literally basically happened overnight. I talked to Tony, he said he wasn't hiring, said he'd give me a trial packet and, um, you know, keep me in the in the loop when they were already overhired by two writers. And then I did my jokes. I got an email the next day saying, Joan loved your stuff, wants to invite you in for a week. And then that we, must have felt right. Yeah, we had uh, we had four writers who were going to be alternating weeks and then I never had to alternate. Yeah. Um, and I just ended up staying for nine months. And it was just literally came out of nowhere so you're a rock star so i just like that feeling of yeah you know you never know where it's going to come from right you, you can't plan for these things i mean right. you can only be as prepared as you can did it change you um it changed my confidence level in you my have life. more confidence a lot more confidence yeah um you know i'm, I'm will forever be grateful for this opportunity but um you know it had its breaking point and it had its turn to walk yeah. away it was um you know a nice stepping stone for me yeah um but you you can't stay on a stepping stone that's starting to affect your, you know, your regular life, your income. When I your, when I heard the it. the way you guys were scrambling to build your lives around mm. it, it was really those stories yeah. like really. Brian was driving down from he was living in San Francisco and had to fly himself in um, every week for the meetings. Um, yeah. I was traveling for work and, you know, Wednesday at noon was the meeting. I mean, how do you balance a Monday yeah. through Friday nine to five job when Wednesday from noon to five you have to be in the Physics yeah. Palisades? So. Oh. I think for me, like, 
I, there's never been a chapter in my life where I thought so specifically about concepts like courage, uh, fear, cowardice, like thought of them as things. Like every, there were so many steps of the way where I'm like, I have to have courage. I have yeah. to be brave. Like, in, in, you know, you, you live your life and you, you know, you have things happen, but this was like, and every step was a different thing of it. And you had to be really nimble. Like, is this a part where I say something? Is this a part where I keep my mouth shut? It was, it was rough, but like character building is sort of a lame thing for it. But it was like, it was no joke. It was like heavy duty. It was mm -hmm. like a big thing. Yeah. But uh, one thing I remember, I remember getting to do a packet for uh, Tosh.0. Right. Like, um, pretty early on, like probably like my third month um, writing for Fashion Police. And I got to do this packet, like my agency. And, you know, at the time I was so excited to do the packet. And in the back of my head, I kept thinking like, oh, my God, what if I get this job? How do I go in and, and tell, um, you know, Joan and Tony that, I'm, I, you know, I got hired somewhere. Like the madness behind it, thinking about it, like for getting a staff position on a show. I didn't get the job, but my like the fear that I had from the time that I said it and like the guilt that I felt about saying and then to see how it all turned out. I mean, it would have been com it was completely irrational guilt. Right. Um but I just remember But I get it. I mean, yeah. that job saved my life and I love so many of the people there yeah. deeply. And I, and I loved it too. I I loved the work of it. I loved um, you know, being around everybody yeah. and just yeah. But uh, you know, before the strike happened, somebody on on that side of it brought up the top model strike and mm. said, you know, they never worked again. Mm. I think and some are on RuPaul now. Really? RuPaul's I hope so. Race, I, I hope they I did. That, yeah. But this this person, I think, brought it up as a cautionary tale. I'm not sure why. But I really need that not to be true. That really needs not to be true. Um, but, yeah, they brought that up. And I, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> I'm in this writer's group, and there's a writer in there. He's a friend of mine. Doesn't I don't know him super well, but he, he like – remarked that he thought that the strike had changed me in terms of how I present myself or whatever. He thought, he goes, he goes, as an actor, you could play more complex roles now. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, have you, have you ever thought of doing a drama or a play? Oh like, I God, thought it was kind of out so of left funny. field, but I, I he was it. observing something, I guess. Um, but the point is, look out, Daniel Day-Lewis, because yeah. I, I think I'm yeah, coming after I, you. Oof, watch out. <laughs> yes. Uh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> There will be blood, Dennis. There, there will, will be, be blood. blood. I think that's how we can end it. Because we have to go to yoga. Jake's going to be warming up soon. Rob, Always. thank you so much. I really, one of the best things that came out of this whole thing is getting to know you and getting to spend time with you and be friends with you. And it's so, it is I, always my honor. It is always my honor. All right, we're going to go do that. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have an email, you can send it to dennisanyonepodcast at gmail.com. Check out my friends in the podcast world, Linoleum Knife. And uh, we'll see you later on. I would play the theme music, but I got to go to yoga. <laughs>